You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. This evening we have Ms. Shay Harris. She is the policy advisor for the Deputy Mayor of Public Safety and Justice in Washington, D.C. Hi, Shay. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, girl, thanks for being here. Yes, you all, Shay is a powerhouse in Washington, D.C. If you are in the policy arena, if you are um, in one of the mayor's offices, if you are involved with CSOSA or the D.C. Uh, Department of Corrections, uh, DYRS, any of those <laughs> major um, sort of like federal programs in Washington, D.C., you know and you have seen Shay Harris. Um, she is just really an amazing advocate in the city. Um, and she does a lot of work um, around justice and rehabilitation, reentry. Shay, tell us who you are, um, what you're doing now, and kind of um, what are some of the things you're doing in your most recent, in the role that you're in right now? Well, thank you. That was a very kind, generous introduction. Oh, it's true. It's all thank true. Thank you so much for having me. As you mentioned, I'm the policy advisor in the office of the deputy mayor for public safety and justice. And my portfolio centers around the criminal justice system because that's where my passion is. Uh, And I firmly believe that how we deal with mass incarceration will be the defining moment of this generation. And so Mm. my work, uh, again, centers at kind of that intersection and how it relates to policy, racial equity, and uh, the agencies, some that you already mentioned, we deal with our federal partners, as well as locally, the Department of Corrections, the Department of Youth Rehabilitative Services, the new Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement, which is trying to take a public health approach to public safety, and then some of our independent agencies. Um, but people, for those who don't know, our criminal justice system in the District of Columbia is pretty much outsourced to the federal government. And so when incarcerated, if you're incarcerated for longer than a year in the District of Columbia, you're basically shipped out to Federal Bureau of Prisons uh, for the duration of um, your sentence. So we also have to work closely with federal partners as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So, Shay, can you elaborate even more on. So in your role uh, as, as a policy advisor, Um, for the deputy mayor of public safety and justice, what are some of the things, what are some of the, I guess, tasks or, or things that, that you do? I know it's, I'm sure that each year there's no day that is the same. I'm sure you do a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's one of the things I love about my job is there's not necessarily one day that looks the same. Uh, but working with those various agencies is among my daily tasks, and it looks different for every agency. Some days it's working with the Department of Corrections and actually going into D.C. jail and helping with programming or um, sitting in, you know, one of the units. One of my favorite units to go visit is the Young Men Emerging Unit, mm-hmm. uh, where it centers uh, men that have been away Uh, in the Federal Bureau of Prisons for decades often and are coming back under IRA, uh, which is a a bill that's basically taking a second look at people that have been incarcerated for extended periods of time um, that were incarcerated as young adults. So they're looking at them for possible release. Yes. Gotcha. Um, Or at least resentencing. I see. Um, But the prayer is often uh, release. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they actually serve as mentors to the young men. 
So the Young Men Emerging Unit is focused on uh, young people 18 to 25. So we know that with brain uh, development and science, we know that the brain is still developing all the way through 25. And we've done immense amount of reform on the juvenile justice side, mm -hmm. right? Um, but now we're just starting to look at if we know the brain doesn't start developing to 25, how are we making sure that we're also doing programming specific to young adults? Uh, and mm -hmm. so that's one of the, the units, one of the many units that's near and dear to me. Um, so that's one of the things that I, I love. And I also cherish the, the new office, the Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement that is, again, trying to take a public health health approach, excuse me, to public safety. And uh, they work with. And what what does that mean? Yeah, like public it, health. You know. So we know that incarceration alone is not going to solve the societal ills. We know that we're talking about uh, combating white supremacy. We're mm -hmm. talking about combating racism and the deprivation that um, systematic deprivation that has occurred in so many of DC's plagued uh, communities that are. Um, having and experiencing violence at mm. alarming rates. Uh, and so what does it mean to actually address that? What does it mean to look at trauma? What does it mean to invest in the people that are from those neighborhoods and empower them to be mentors um, and to help um, dissolve uh, violence? And, and so the violence interruption work uh, is near and dear to my heart and uh, has gone without being funded for nearly a decade in the city. And so in a lot of ways, uh, we have embarked on something that, again, has not happened in quite a while. And so uh, that certainly comes with its own set of challenges. I'm but sure. uh, there are no more, I think, dedicated people to this work um, than those that are connected to that work because we're literally talking about saving people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I love that work as well. So, yeah, to, in short, no day looks the same, but that's what I love about the work. And it's really just trying to show up and support people on uh, the phenomenal work that they're already doing and empowering them, making sure they have the resources. And also as it relates to policy, making sure that we really take a look at what we already have on the books. And if it's working, making sure we enforce it. If it's not working, making sure that we change it to, to ensure that all um, D.C. residents have a fair shot. That's awesome, Shay. Um, where does policies surrounding public safety, policies surrounding, um, you know, folks who are incarcerated in D.C., just, just policy in general, um, what office does, do those policies come out of? Like, or is there a book, you know what I mean? Like, where exactly? Because I think a, a lot of people and advocates, activists, uh, even, you know, people who are in the work, um, not all people understand or even know like how our legal system works and like what is policy? Where is policy? You know, how do you how do you how do you reform policy? You know, so. Yeah, that's a great question. Unfortunately, and I think oftentimes um, systematically, it's not necessarily in one central location. Um, but in short, for, for people that are listening and figuring out, like, where can I dive in? Where where do I look for more information? Uh, the D.C. Council is a great website to just go look at um, because that's the legislative branch of our government. So mm -hmm. when we talk about bills and how it's impacting people, especially as you mentioned that um, are incarcerated, 
incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, and the like, uh, a lot of that policy decisions is made uh, within the D.C. Council. In terms of the executive, it's it's more um, expansive than that in the sense that uh, it's found throughout all of our various agencies. But one document that I highly recommend listeners go look at uh, is the comprehensive plan. And in that plan, it details um, at, in great length uh, the, the plans of the city of the District of Columbia. So whether that's around economic development, whether that's around um, workforce development, all of those mm-hmm. plans are spelled out in the comprehensive plan. Uh, and far too many residents don't even know that that's like decisions are being made for you and you're not necessarily even at the table while those right. decisions are made. Right. I see. And the comp- comprehensive plan. Uh, where does that derive from? Does that derive from the mayor's office, from D.C. City Council? Was it like a coalition that got together and wrote that? Yeah, great question. Uh, so it is uh, kind of a combination. Um, and they do do outreach uh, to communities. But again, if you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and so mm-hmm. people, uh, they're actually going through a, a period now where the public can input on what's a part of the comprehensive plan and reacting oh, to it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's a, it's a very long document, though. Sure. Um, a lot of legal language. A lot, lot of language. <laughs> Lots of language. Um and, and so, yeah, there are community groups and others that are coming together and helping people kind of go through it um, just to make it plain for people. Uh, but it, it's a fascinating document that I highly recommend people take a look at. Awesome. That's great to know, Shay. So previous to your current position as a policy advisor for the Deputy Mayor of Public Safety and Justice, you served as the Deputy Director at the Mayor's Office of Returning Citizen Affairs. Um, what what were some of the things that you did in, in that role? Yeah, so I was in that role for almost three years, mm-hmm. right over by the big chair. Yeah. 2100 MLK. Sophie's? Yes. <laughs> and um, so day to day, it was managing a staff. Uh, it was uh, working with formerly incarcerated residents. And so that looked different depending on people's needs. So people could come in, literally need an ID. Right. And so it's then how do we get them the voucher? And um, sometimes it was connectivity to TANF and SNAP and other public benefits. And so sometimes it's walking them over to DHS. Um, so um, the Human Services Agency to make sure that they're connected. Uh, oftentimes it's needing a job. And so sometimes it's looking at the resume, figuring out, okay, well, you spent eight years away. What were your jobs and in, in while you were in? And how do we um, make sure that the, the skills that you gained um, during that time frame are translated on paper? Oftentimes, it was um, connectivity to mental health services. Um, you know, the, the reentry process and reintegration process looks different for everyone. So it was really an experience to try to meet people where they are mm-hmm. and then build policies in our office um, to try to help them where they are uh, to access services, get connected, uh, and then thrive in an in a ever-changing District of Columbia um, that we know is the fastest um, gentrifying uh, city in America right now. So it's the fastest one? It is. Gentr- gentrified city? Yes. Because so I know it's happening across the country in the major happen- cities. Yes. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. I guess it's not surprising. Because literally, like, every empty space, empty lot, old building is being torn down. Condominiums are being thrown up everywhere. So, you know, and then just looking at the housing market right now, is it's crazy. 
um, it's, <laughs> it's serious. Ridiculous. Absolutely. And, you know, gentrifying often gets a bad name. And so let me just kind of um, quantify what mm-hmm. I mean by that. I, I'm and speaking there are pros of, and cons. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone wants to live in a thriving community, right? Everyone wants to have amenities in their community, right? But what people don't want is that happening um, at because they're being displaced. People right. want to have all that and still be able to maintain uh, mm-hmm. where they're living. And so part of the struggle in the district, and as you mentioned, nationwide, is figuring out how people can avail themselves to all of the greatness that's coming to the District of Columbia while not being pushed out to surrounding locations. I see. Yeah. Wow. That's the that's a whole lot. We could just talk about that right there. Right. That's a whole episode. Right <laughs> that's there. a whole episode right there. Okay, uh, so it sounds like you all did a lot of direct services, actually, provided a lot of direct services at the, the mayor's office of returning citizen affairs. Were you actually sitting down with folks from time to time, one on one? And that, yeah, that's daily. awesome. That's <laughs> daily. amazing. Yeah, and I love that work. That work is near and dear to my heart. It's almost it like also, social work, sort of. I mean, all, uh, most of city services, right, if we're being very candid, because mm-hmm. you're supposed to be a public service servant and so that means you have to serve the people right uh, and that's social work I think at its core so absolutely um, but I also learned in that space that as much as you love and feel the impact individual by individual I want to change systems and so mm-hmm. that's what really sparked me uh, to to understand that I needed to go back to school and that I wanted to kind of make the shift to, to do policy work you just thank you for that, Shay. Thank you for that. That was perfect because I. It, so in the funding world, mm. right, <laughs> right, there there's now this I'm going to call it a trend because everyone has caught on to it and they're grabbing a hold of it. Right. So it's this a term called systems change, mm. which mm-hmm. you mentioned systematic change. Um, and 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 you you mentioned it's even in your bio, you know, um, how you create systematic change through policy. Right. Um, so what exactly. First of all, what is systems change? I mean, I you know, I don't I don't want to assume that everybody knows. And then how do you how do you do that through policy? Yeah, to me. And, and again, this is my own definition. System change means really taking a look at what's happening and and that system can be whether we're talking about mass incarceration whether we're talking about housing Mm, whether we're talking about mental health right so that's the system and it's how do you effectuate change in that system and to me uh it it made the most sense i've always been skilled in writing and that was something that i loved and enjoyed to look at okay well if policy governs people and the laws right then perhaps that's a skill that I want to better understand. If I know that the 13th Amendment says that black people are free, except, mm-hmm. right? If you commit a crime, right? Then that's, that's a policy. That's a law. And so that's something I wanted to look at. Um, I'll never forget, I did an internship uh, while I was in college with the NAACP Washington Bureau. So first time I came to D.C. and stayed for an extended period of time, fell in love with the city. By way of Ohio, By way of Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) Yes, and went to school at North Carolina A&T. So at that time, I was in Greensboro, North Carolina. A&T, Aggie Pride? Aggie Pride. All right now. Um, And and so during that time, um, everyone had to do a project. And 
Uh, I knew I had an interest in criminal justice, uh, but that was the first time I really sat and, and did extensive research. And um, that research led me to studying mandatory minimum sentencing. Mm. And it was mind-blowing to learn that all of these laws and policies were in place um, that fundamentally uh, were created to incarcerate black and brown bodies. And it was a now in hindsight, right? Like it's like, yeah, everyone knows about mandatory minimums. But at mm-hmm. that time, right, it was it still was. like a new thing that people were just, right. this was before criminal justice reform was like a sexy thing. Right, right. right. Um, so it, it, learning about that, it blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, I have to change this. I have to be a part of like eradicating this because this mm. is so messed up. This is something that It is, will get you upset. It'll get you angry. Right? It'll get you pissed. Like, um, what? And when you know better, you do better, right? right? So, right. so um, I had no idea at that time what, what that meant or looked like for me. But learning about uh, mandatory minimums and the fact that there were so many people just being warehoused and sent to um, prisons unjustly, I knew I, I wanted to be a part of that change. I see. And what office? Was there a particular office that you interned out yeah, of? Yes, so it was or? the NAACP Washington um, Bureau. So the gotcha. branch um, here actually um, not not that far from uh, where we are right now. Yeah. I got you. And what did you study in undergrad? Uh, political science. Got you. Yeah. Got you. So you already knew it sounded like you. So how, what was your thought process going into college and deciding on a political science major? Yeah, great question. So I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And I so I was like, political science made sense. I actually uh, printed off like the most common uh, majors. Right. And literally went through the list and checked off everything I didn't want to do. And they were like, it makes sense. That's smart. I mean, it, hey, it, it was what it was. But I, I knew I was clear on what I didn't want to do. And mm-hmm. so that left like, I think, five or six things. Ali <laughs> nice. I was one of them. I was like, oh, yeah, that that I, can, I think I can get with that. And so um, I thought I was going to go to law school, um, even from an early age, knew that I saw being in a private school. Right. And having that luxury and that privilege, but still living in inner city Um, part of product of a um, single family home and had a mother that was an educator Mm -hmm. uh, and just believed and knew that like education was the ticket out. And Mm -hmm. she was right. Um, And and so saw how my friends in my neighborhood were treated vastly different for the same behavior that happened oftentimes worse at my private school and couldn't articulate or really understand what that was or what that meant then, but knew it wasn't right. Um, and so I think that drew me and then I had some, and let me ask you yeah, sure. in Ohio, did you go to public school? Did you go to public school? Private school. Private K school. through 12 oh, my whole life. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. I got you. But still, right. So I got bust an hour away to go to school, but still had to come back to my neighborhood. Right. To your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. I got um, you. and so, uh, you know, had friends that I loved, um, get caught up in the juvenile justice system in the adult system and that certainly influenced me wanting to change because I knew them right I loved them and I knew they were good people but oftentimes fell victim to circumstance and what um society um and and again all the isms right what racism and all of those other things kind of pushed them towards uh and I saw the the inequity in that and wanted to figure out how I can help. So I, I went to college thinking I was probably going to be a criminal defense attorney. I got you. And that didn't happen. But <laughs> well, I mean, you you are you I'm are close. in your own way. Yeah. You know what you're doing now is, is extremely meaningful and impactful for 
so many people and for Thank a city you. that is, you know, sort of natives, a lot of natives and, and folks who've formerly been here, you know, crying out, you know, some maybe not, maybe they're really happy in Waldorf, but those <laughs> of us who love DC, who, which I'm one of those born and raised in DC proper, you know, product of DC public schools. Um, we, we want to live here and we want to be able to thrive. Like you said, in this new age, you know, this new, new gentrified Washington, DC, um, Shay, you've done a lot. You've you're, you've done a lot of work um, recently with the Unity Summit. Yeah. Um. Uh. You're the project manager for the Unity Summit, and so please tell us about what that was about and and what that experience was like for you. Um. And also, please tell us what you define as what is collective power. Yeah. Well, I'll, I think I'll start with the second question, which kind of leads into uh, the question about the Unity Summit. So to me, collective power, um, especially when I'm talking about black people, uh, which is something I'm very passionate about. Right. Um, mm-hmm. w- you either win um, by organized people or organized money. And, um, you know, if you grew up anything like me, you can pretty much take the organized money away off the table. Right. Right. So right. I'm in the business of trying to organize people. Uh, and, and so collective power means, okay, what what's the policy agenda? What can we get behind as a unit that we know if we can accomplish these three things, it will be a victory. Uh, and so that's some of the work. And that's kind of um, at its core, one of the, the foundational things that we wanted to accomplish with the Unity Summit, which again, brought together all of the violence interrupter, all of the violence, excuse me, interruption workers uh, through the ones office, the attorney general's office has scared the streets. And so mm-hmm. those violence interrupters were also a part of it. DPR, the Department of uh, Parks and Recreations, has roving leaders, which has been around for decades. Right. That's so how do we loop them into this work that's happening? Um, we have uh, mobile units um, and people that are meeting people bedside after uh, violent crime uh, through the Office of Victim Service and justice grants. So how do we pull them into the work? We have the Department of Youth Rehabilitative Services that has Mm -hmm. done an amazing job with their credible messengers. Mm -hmm. So inviting them into the fold as well. So really bringing together, it was roughly like 170 people. One to just say thank you because these are the frontline workers that are literally putting their lives on the line for all of the District of Columbia, Mm. right? And trying to empower their communities and give back to their communities. So one, it was to really just say thank you for the work that you're doing we see you and we appreciate you. But beyond that, what does your self-care plan look like? How are mm. you healing? How are you dealing with your trauma? How are we addressing it? And how do we professionalize this work? The reality is, as we've stated, um, the District of Columbia is quickly changing. And a lot of this work, I firmly believe, um, will look a, lot of dif- look a lot different or be eradicated completely. Um, and not that... And hopefully because we've worked our way out of a job. Right. Mm. That's the hope that the homicides go down and there's no need for this work. Right. So then what are you going to do after? And so how do we professionalize the work? And so the Unity Summit happened um, in September of 2019 at the Eaton Hotel. They were amazing hosts. Nice. Um, and we were able to do yoga and uh, meditate. Nice. And we had Eric Thomas, who was a phenomenal um, keynote speaker. We had Dr. Mitchell there, uh, mm-hmm. who is the chief medical examiner, another dynamic speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just had a lot of real talk. And, and it was the first time that it happened. Uh, we're looking forward to bringing those that same group 
group plus some more back together. But it's all about unity. We all have to work together to build that collective power. Um, And so I'm happy to have a small role in that. That's amazing. You're so humble. Small role. By the way, <laughs> Shay is the uh, the Unity Summit. It's her brainchild. So she's being very humble right now. Yeah, but it's uh, a group effort. So <laughs> Oh, yeah. Teamwork makes a dream work Always. for sure. Uh, but but this is just awesome work that you're doing, Shay. Thank and you. we 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 you have to come back I would love so that to. we can break out all of these many different facets of you know what's happening in the district and you know the work that's being done and work that needs to be done. But uh, just in summation, um, what advice do you have for um, you know violence uh, interrupters? Uh, community like advocates activists people who are out doing the work who um, want to professionalize the work and um, we want to ensure the safety of people the well-being of people right Um, but but do it through systems change right and like make it effective in policy that is the key because we could do the work day in and day out but but be constantly fighting against a system that we're not at the table making the decisions about and I think that's really you know that's that's what the power is in what you're doing and 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 what you're empowering other people to do so what is like maybe one or two pieces of practical advice that you have for people who want to be get into system change is that to run for office or you know what what is that what might that look like I would say the first thing is like educate yourself like you can't fight a system that you don't understand and and so um you know whether that's showing up at your ANC meeting in your neighborhood or the the neighborhood that you're working in whether it's just coming and listening um at a city council hearing or or watching online right so the first thing is like educating yourself what is it that you're most passionate about and that you want to see change and then what are you willing to put on the line what are you willing to do far too often we can all sit and complain we know all the issues but where are the solutions where are the people that are really ready to roll up their sleeves Mm -hmm. and be about the the work of, of the people um and so it's definitely education is is up of utmost importance and not just formal education while I'm a proponent of that as well um, but there, there's so much that is encompassed in that um, also like voting and I know that's taboo in a lot of our communities mm-hmm. and I don't think that's the end all be all but that's part of the strategy say it again for the people in the back Shane. <laughs> that you gotta vote that's part of the strategy. It's not the end all be all. Right. But if if you're not voting, that's voting. You're as part well. of the problem. <laughs> and yeah. that you're you're voting against your own uh, self-interest if you're not even uh, participating. And, and so that would be the second thing. Uh, and then like taking care of yourself, like all of this work, it, it will kill you. Stress yeah. will kill you. It's very, um, yes. So so go lay on somebody's couch, go meditate, go do yoga, whatever it looks like, whatever your Sleep, practice is. Eat. Sleep, all of that, right? Exercise, um, all but, of <laughs> but be mindful of it and, and be aware. Th- those would be the key things. And then, um, like, we have to kill this false narrative of the, the competitive nature and, like, pinning groups and, and persons against right. each other. Um, like, we're dying. And it's time to stop playing games and really Mm -hmm. be about the work that we say we're about. And that calls for unity. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree. Right. But if I love you and if I care about your well-being, then I'm willing to show up and and do the work. Mm, So those would be my things. Mm. (laughs) Policy preacher. (laughs) His house. (laughs) 
Thank you, Shay. Thank Thank you. You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. Till next time, peace. Thank you.